his foot. That's, this is a lyric. No, go, go to the desert. The rules will lead you. Before the night comes, go brother through the desert. Once again, we'll return. Rocks will shout. And the sun of great light will shine on us. The desert land with no water. Oh my land, we have returned to you. So this song you can see is pretty old. It was like made 40, uh, 50, 60 years ago. And it was popular in Israel. It's after the war. It's after they gathered together, went back to a promised land, started a new country, uh, started a nation again. And hence uh, the popular song. The song caused people to return to the wilderness. Wilderness has become a critical part of Israelites' identity. It's part of Jesus' life. And believe it or not, it's a critical part of our Christian identity. Not necessarily in a physical or literal sense, but in a spiritual sense. So, uh, before we get started, let's bow our heads and pray. And Abraham can start recording. Father God, we thank you for your scripture. We thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you the storms are behind us. Uh, we may be out of drought this year. Uh, so no matter what, we thank you for your providence. And um, pray that this morning you will speak graciously through me to your people about the reason why you often send us, if not always, into the wilderness. There's a good will of you. May you speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. All right. Some recap from last, last time. If you remember, Jesus was baptized by a person who say, I'm not worthy to untie the shoelaces of Jesus. And Jesus was willing to humble himself to be baptized. So we know, uh, Humility, true humility in biblical sense is not self-deprecation. It's not belittling yourself. It's not about saying, looking down on yourself and saying all the bad things about yourself. That's not humility. That's lack of esteem. Oftentimes, proud people are the people who lack of self-esteem. The true humility is depending on God. We proclaim our need, our dependence on God. And we submit ourselves to him. We allow God to be our master, to be our Lord, to let him decide whatever comes in our life. And true, humble person is a person who can take no from God and from people around him. A truly humble person is a person who respects boundaries, who respects people's no. And therefore, he sees himself properly. He sees himself in an appropriate uh, 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 position and you will not overstep on people's boundaries. And it's quick to say sorry. Whenever he wrongs people, whenever he says something that's not true, he will apologize, he will say sorry. He's others oriented. He pays attention to others. He's not self-centered. And he's willing to lower himself as his Lord Jesus. Stooping down to accommodate other people, to serve other people. That's a humble person. Okay, so that's a recap from last sermon. Today's sermon, uh, again, a few verses. We're going to go very slow on Mark because uh, I, I found Jesus fascinating. And I haven't done any gospel ever since I arrived here. So I've been here for almost six years. I think this year is my sixth year. 
it's a good time that we focus on Jesus, our Lord. So we're going to go very slow on his life, on his word, on his death, on his resurrection. Verse 12, the spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. Where is this wilderness? Okay, Judean wilderness. It's not too big. It's a small desert, but uh, it's known for its rugged and desolate landscape. It's quite inhabitable unless you live on the, on the edge. And so Jesus came all this way. The same spirit that descended on him during his baptism now drove him into the wilderness. To do what? To be tempted by Satan for 40 days. For, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. Jesus followed the tradition. The tradition is all God's servants. Every servant of God, if you pay attention, in the Old Testament, they all have to go into wilderness. The most famous example is Moses. He spent 40 years in the wilderness before he went back to Egypt to lead God's people out of slavery. The other one is Elijah. Elijah spent 40, 40 days on the way to Mount Horeb where he received God's calling to anoint his successor. 40 days without drinks or, or, or food. So two famous figures in the Old Testament, Moses, the greatest, uh, one of the greatest servant of God, and same with Elijah, probably the greatest prophet in Old Testament times. And most importantly, Israel, Israel, the nation himself, the people themselves went through wilderness for 40 years. They were out of Egypt, they were out of slavery, but before they entered the promised land, they had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Unfortunately, the first generation of that group failed. They were never out of that wilderness. But Jesus is different. Now you can see Jesus here as a Israel reduced to one. Jesus personification of the new Israel. Now this new Israel will succeed. It will go through the wilderness and you will get out of the wilderness. You will go into the promised land, led by this person, by this Messiah, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we are the new Israel. We are the believers in Jesus. We have to go through wilderness ourselves, but for sure Jesus will lead us out of it, into the promised land. Okay? Now who is Satan? Is Satan a proper name? What is Satan? When we say Satan, what do you think of? Some kind of weird beast with two horns and a tail? Is that Satan? The Bible doesn't say Satan has horns or tails. This is what the Bible says. Satanas is the Greek word for Satan. It's from the Hebrew word Satan. And Satan, as a noun, is from the verb Satan, which means to accuse. So Satan's main job and his main character is to accuse. He likes to accuse people. He's an accuser, he's a slanderer, he's an adversary. Right? So a couple of stories, a couple of recording about Satan in the Old Testament. First, he, uh, we all know he accused Job, right? And he accused Job in front of uh, God. He said, Job doesn't really love you. He loves you because he gives him all that he wants, all that he needs. So he accuses Job. And he also accuses priest Joshua, saying, he cannot be a priest. This is in the book of Zechariah. He cannot be a priest because his clothes, look at his clothes, so dirty. He's, he's unqualified. 
and he surrenders. Satan surrenders. My most famous st story in the beginning of uh, creation, right, he slanders God before Adam and Eve. Did God really say you cannot eat that? Well, God doesn't want you to eat that because God knows if you eat that, you'll be like him. He drives a wedge before people and God. He casts doubts. He slanders God. He makes us wonder. He makes us suspect. Does God truly love me? Is God truly good to me? What's God's motive? Maybe God's there to set me up, to do something bad to me. That's Satan's job. That's his expertise. Now, he does that to Jesus in the wilderness. Now, the Gospel of Mark is quite unique. It doesn't give a lot of details. It's action-driven. So immediately, Jesus does this. Immediately, Jesus sees this. So it's like action movie. Boom, boom, boom. Now, Matthew and Luke, they give more details about what happened in the desert. But here, uh, Mark just wants us to know. Jesus was driven by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, and he was tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. So uh, some people relate animals to the paradise. You know, hey, peace, harmony between people and animals. But it's probably not the same here. Because immediately, right after Mark mentioned uh, Satan, he said about wild animals. So wild animals is seen as, should be seen as in a negative sense. They represent the dangers, the threats. Now, like us, if we go to the wilderness, we go to, I don't know, uh, Valley of Death, Death Valley, or whatever uh, uh, wild, you know, natural places here, we have dangers, right? We have mountain lions here, we have coyotes. Uh, I don't know what Jesus was facing there, but those are threats. But same time, angels will minister to him. Jesus also enjoys the protection and providence from God through his angels. Verse 14. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God. So Jesus doesn't really go public until John is arrested. And Mark, Mark here doesn't tell us why. From other gospel, we know. Uh, he, uh, he, he, he was arrested by King Herod. So Jesus did not start his ministry in Jerusalem. He went to Galilee, his hometown. Well, where's Galilee? Let's take a look at Galilee. Where's Galilee? It's, it's in the north. It's actually far away. It's a remote region. It's a, it's a, a, a place for new uh, Jewish immigrants, Jewish settlers. It's away from the center the political and religious center of Jerusalem. So Jerusalem in the book of Mark is casted in a very negative light. And they're seen as the enemy, or supposed to be people in Jerusalem, the high priests, uh, the, the experts of law, the Pharisees, they're supposed to be people who know God the most. But it turns out they are the biggest adversaries, enemies of God, of Jesus. So Jesus' uh, ministry prospered, not at the center, not at the most prosperous place, but on the fringe. From the beginning, Jesus is a marginal guy. He starts on the margin. And so are we. Christians sometimes have this deception, false idea that we should be at the center of the world. It's not the case. It's not, never, it was never the case in the beginning. Today, Christian is, in many cases, we are the marginal. Even here, even here in the United States, and we have to know that 
And God, that's how God exercises power. Now, times it's not from the center, but from the margin. So he went to Galilee and he proclaimed the gospel of God. Gospel means good news, good news from God, good news about God. And what's this good news? Like Jesus said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The kingdom of God now comes, has arrived. You probably heard this phrase already, but not yet. He has a, the kingdom of God has arrived with the arrival of Jesus. But you will not come in full until the second coming of Jesus. <clears throat> but it's already here, and it's growing, and it's near. Kingdom of God also means God's reign. For people who accept Jesus into their life, God is our king, and he reigns our life. And what we need to learn for our lifetime is to listen and obey to this king, the true creator of the universe and the redeemer. Okay? And there's a, there's a response. There's a blessing, there's a good news, but there's also a human obligation. Repent and believe, two verbs. Repent means turning, turning from. Turning from us. But you cannot just turn from us and you just keep turning and turning so you'll be, you know, rotating. No. There's a place you have to turn to. You have to turn to God. You have to turn to the gospel. You have to turn to Jesus. And that's what believe means. So repent and believe means turn from ourselves and turn to God. There must be a response. We cannot just hear the good news and say, okay, sounds good. That's not enough. We have to respond. We have to believe, and we have to turn to God. Okay, so uh, that's today's verses. Uh, one of our small group, uh, I think we went through this series from Ray Binder uh, Lan. Um, we watched the video. I think one thing that really impresses me is what he said in the video about wilderness. The Hebrew word for wilderness is midbar. And the word of God, the Hebrew word for word is dabar. Wilderness is where we hear the word of God. The reason why God sometimes sends us to wilderness, to a desert, is to hear his word. Deuteronomy 8 says, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Because there's really nothing in the, in the desert for you to depend on. There's no water, there's no food. For you to survive there, the only source of life is his word, is his promise. Back in Hong Kong, um, when I, after we decided, after I decided to become a stay-at-home dad, uh, my wife is the, was the main breadwinner, and uh, many relatives and friends they have concerns. Many of families they have concerns. Are you going to survive? Now my mom called me one day from Taiwan. I think it's either my mom or my dad. So it's my mom. So she she said, you know, how can how can I retire? You don't have a job. You don't have income. How are you gonna have health insurance? When you get old, who's gonna take care of you? You have no one to take care of you. 
No, that made me very sad. Because I didn't know how to answer that. I said, I, I feel like, oh, that's true. So, so what am I going to do? A few days later, you know, I have this uh, Bible verses my, on my phone. Sometimes they pops up. So a few days later, I was, you know, just lying on bed and look at my phone. This verse just pops up right in front of me. It's from Isaiah. God said, when you get old, I'll take care of you. It's right there. And the only thing I did that time is believe. I believe. The word of God is precious. We sometimes don't know how precious they are until we cannot see anything else, until we cannot feel anything, until we are not distracted by anything else. Solely on the word of God, solely on his promise. So I don't know if you're going through wilderness right now. I don't know if you have gone into wilderness or you will be going to wilderness. But pay attention to God says. Pay attention. Listen. Believe. And obey. In awareness, they are adversary. Adversary, sorry. There's Satan in the wilderness. Now, Satan, you think about this horn, animals with horn. You know, that word actually, in the Old Testament, only one place. It's referring to these proper names, this person, this devil called Satan. Many times it's just, it means enemy. It means someone who is against or who's opposing God's will, adversary. And that's what Jesus called, called Peter uh, Satan. I don't think he called Satan as the, the, the horned animal. No, he just says, Peter, you're opposing God's will. You're against God's will. Now in wilderness, some people, some voice, sometimes it's our own voice, will speak like Satan to us. Does God really love you? Do you think this is really God's will? Do you, do you really think God loves you? Do you really think that he's good to you? There will, there will be voices casting down, sometimes from our close ones, sometimes from ourselves. And that's another reason God sends us to wilderness. Deuteronomy 8 says that he might humble you testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep the commandments or not. God put us into a test to see if we really listen, if we really believe, and if we really obey. And therefore, after wilderness, what? It's ministry. Jesus had to go into wilderness before First, before he came out and started his public ministry in Galilee. And same with Moses. Remember Moses' story? He fled into the wilderness to be part of the Median tribe where he married. And after 40 years, God called him, go back to Egypt and lead my people out of there. Lead them where? Into where? The promised land? Yes, but that's later. Lead them into the wilderness. Do you understand what God did Moses? He actually spent 40 years in the same wilderness where he will be leading the Israelites into. If you want to be a pastor, how do you shepherd people in wilderness if you yourself have never been to wilderness? 
if you want to be a minister or counselor, how do you counsel people? How do you comfort people in sufferings if you yourself have never been through suffering? Witness is a preparation phase for all ministers, for all servants of God. We have to go into witness. We have to go through that state, that needy state, that state where we have to depend and rely on God solely and truly trusting and believing and obeying his word. Now, final thing, I want to warn you. Do not waste your witness. Do not waste it. Because some people wasted it. The first generation of Israelites, they wasted it. They never got out of that wilderness. Scripture told us, for the Lord has said of them, they shall die in the wilderness. Not one of them was left, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. What's special about Caleb and Joshua? How did they get out of the wilderness? They believed and they obeyed. What happened to the first generation? Of Israelites. How come they just keep making circles in the wilderness? Because they always disobey. They always disobey. They don't listen. And they refuse to obey. That's why they waste their wilderness. They die in the wilderness. Are you a person of disobedience and rebellion? Do you know a sign? How do you find out you are a person of disobedience? And rebellion. There's a clear sign for a person of disobedience and rebellion. Do you know what that sign is? What's the sign of the first generation of Israelites in the desert? When they came to, when did they rebel? They came to the edge of the promised land. What did they do? Did they enter? No, they refused. Why did they refuse? They were afraid. A disobedient and rebellious person has many fears. He has a lot of fear. He's afraid of trying new things. He's afraid of going to new places. He's afraid of meeting new people. Because what? Because he doesn't fear God. Friends, if you don't fear God, you'll fear many other things. If you always disobey God, you always ignore his voice, you refuse to listen to him, then you will have a lot of fears in your life because you will not have confidence. The Spirit of God is not with you. And the Spirit of God is powerful. The Spirit of God is courageous. And you don't have that Spirit. Why? Because you don't obey. You refuse to listen. So how do we receive that inner confidence? Last time we say humble people. Truly humble person has a lot of confidence because he depends on God. He trusts in God. He obeys God. That's where he receives his confidence. Not because he keeps belittling himself, but because he trusts in God. He knows he's not able, but he knows God is able. And he believes God is able. God can do all things. That's where he, got, he receives his courage. That's where he receives his confidence. That's how Joshua and Caleb entered the promised land. Because they listened, obeyed, and they believed. And therefore, they had the courage. Even though the enemies were so strong, the legs were so tall and big, but they were not afraid. 
they had the confidence, the inner confidence, because they believe in God and they obey. So friends, don't waste your witness. I have to tell you, unfortunately, I've seen Christians making circles in the wilderness. Go to this company, had a falling out with the boss, left, went to another company, had the same falling out, never respecting the boss, never respecting authority, never listening. So wherever he goes, he fails. It's just repeating. It's sad to look at that. And may we not become that kind of people. It happens to pastors too. That's why some people quit being a pastor. You know, go to this church, you had a falling out with the elders. Go to another church, the uh, same thing happened with the deacons and sometimes with the members. And wherever he goes, just, you know, the relationship just doesn't work out. And eventually they go back to the corporate world. I know at least two or three examples. Don't waste our wilderness. Pay attention to God's word. I'm not preaching something new here. Every week I'm standing here, I'm basically preaching the same thing. Actually, last Sunday, Alice was here. He was preaching the same thing. You remember what he said? Do you remember why at the end, what did he urge you to do? He said, say yes to God. Say yes to God this week. Say yes. Obey. I'm preaching the same thing. There's nothing new from this prophet. He's always believing God. Valuing his word. Pay attention to his word. Obey and listen. And may God deliver us out of our wilderness. And when we are out of our when we are out of our wilderness, we have the strength and power from God that we can help other people who are also in the wilderness. We become we become better people in God's sight, and we help other people to become better in God's sight. Let us pray. Father God, thank you for using the wilderness experience to equip us, to train us, to test us, but also to empower us, to bless us, to provide for us, to give us security. It's a precious experience. It's what Israelites were going through in the Old Testament. It's what Moses, Elijah, and Jesus went through. It's what some of us have gone through and some of us are going through. It's precious. And we know you love us. And you do have good purposes for us. You're not sending us to wilderness to die. You're sending us to wilderness to live. To depend on your word. To live on your manna. To live on your precious words and promises. So whatever we're facing right now, may we continue to depend on you. To be truly humble people. To proclaim our dependence on you and to behave, to act humbly as you do. To lower ourselves, to serve other people in our life. Help us to never ever waste our wilderness. May we learn from it. May we learn about you. Love you more. Know you more. Through the wilderness. Thank you, Lord. In your son Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.